to look at Micah chapter 4 uh, today, Micah chapter 4, 6 through uh, 13. Micah chapter 4, 6 through 13. Let's look at this. On that day, this is the Lord's declaration, I will assemble the lame and gather the scattered, those I have injured. I will make the lame into a remnant, those far removed into a strong nation. Then the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time on and forever. And you, watchtower for the flock, fortified hill of daughter Zion, the former rule will come to you. Sovereignty will come to daughter Jerusalem. Now, why are you shouting loudly? Is there no king with you? Has your counselor perished so the anguish grips you like a woman in labor? Rise and cry out, daughter Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you will leave the city. You will camp in the open fields. You will go to Babylon, and there you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the grasp of your enemies. Many nations have now assembled against you, and they say, let her be defiled. And let us feast our eyes on Zion. But they do not know the Lord's intentions or understand his plan, that he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Rise and thresh, daughter Zion, for I will make your horns iron and your hooves bronze so that you can crush many peoples. Then the Lord will set apart their plunder for the Lord, for their wealth, for the Lord of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are gathered here uh, in your presence, Lord, to hear all that it is that you have for us, Lord. And I pray that you would be in my mouth as I speak here this morning, Lord, that your word would accomplish the purpose for which you send it, Lord, and uh, would not be in vain, would bear fruit in our lives. Uh, Lord, we believe that at the words that we just sang, that you never leave our side, which means that you are here with us this morning. Uh, the church is the temple of God where your spirit dwells, and we know that you're here to love us this morning and remind us of the good news of the gospel. pray you would help us by the power of your spirit in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so if you're uh, new with us this morning, we are in a sermon series called Future Now. We've been looking at the book of Micah. Micah was a prophet in the Old Testament uh, in the first part of the Bible. We've been looking at Micah chapter 4. All right, we started out uh, last week looking at Micah chapter 4, and he sees this vision, this grand vision of the, the future. And Micah chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, what we saw last week, is like when, you, when you're doing a puzzle, right? And you're doing a puzzle, you guys know the strategy, right? You get the corners, you get the border, once you get everything, you got the frame, right? So the first part of Micah chapter 4 was this grand vision, and we got everything framed up. And what we're looking at today, our passage today, kind of fills in the miss, some of the missing pieces. And they are very important. Let me just say how important. Without which these pieces in your life, your life will fall apart. Y'all listening? If you don't have them, your life is going to be a shambles. But if you do have them, you're going to be strong. Right? You're going to be strong in your life. You're going to be able to, you know, life throws storms at you, doesn't it? Difficulty, pain, loss, grief, confusion. If you have these pieces in your life, doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but you'll at least be able to stand a little bit. You at least can be a little bit stable. And the first is this. Weakness is the way. 
Weakness is the way. Micah chapter 4, verse 6. Micah chapter 4, verse 6. Let's look at this. On that day, this is the Lord's declaration, I will assemble the lame and gather the scattered, those I have injured. And Micah says, on that day. What day is he talking about? When's that going to happen? Well, in the context, uh, it's talking about the first part of, the, uh, of Micah chapter 4, right? When he sees this huge vision, right, of the temple that is at the summit of, of the world, and all the peoples of the world, the nations, are going up to the temple because the word of God is going out from the temple. And we said that that is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. This vision of the temple is Christ, right? Uh, it, it's about the gospel, right? And if, if you're new to the Bible, the message of the Bible is what's called the gospel. The whole Bible is a message of good news about Jesus. The good news that he came and he lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we deserve to live at the cross, substituted him, sacrificed himself out of love. He was buried in a tomb. He died, but the man came back. He walked out of the grave alive. He ascended into heaven, and that from there he reigns. That's what the Bible was about. And the Lord Jesus is telling us here about his people, what type of people they are, how do they get there, what is he, what is he doing uh, with them. It says here that, Jesus' people are lame, scattered, and injured. So the people that Jesus goes and get in this world are weak. You see that? Something wrong with them. They're lame. They're, they're, they're injured. Um, and this is a frequent theme throughout the, the scriptures. Lord is a shepherd and goes to get sheep. Right? Uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 4 says, I will raise up shepherds over them. It's talking about pastors. God's going to raise shepherds who will tend the sheep, and they will no longer, look at this, be afraid or discouraged or any will be missing. This is the Lord's declaration. So the people, people who are able to say with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd, are right here. Discouraged, missing, all these different types of things here. What else does he say? Afraid. Because weakness is the way. Weakness is the way. Anyone in here, just, you just love feeling weak? You like that? Man, got, you got, got the tattoo and everything. Weak right there. You got that tattoo? Anybody got that tattoo? Right? Um, there, there was a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. Right? It's, it's, I read it a while back. It's a great book. It's talking about where our world is at. And the, the subtitle for the, uh, one of the first chapters is, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. What doesn't kill you uh, makes you weaker. Right? Now, we all know that's not how that, that goes. Right? But he's talking about this is the world that, that we live in. Uh, we know it's what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But the book is saying this is, this is the way of the world, that we try to avoid anything that's painful. We think if it's difficult, if it's painful, it's got to be wrong because uh, we're ultimately meant to feel good and everything's supposed to go smooth and we're supposed to be... Um, happy all the time. I, recently, we had to uh, send a laptop uh, back we, we got for our girls for school and uh, printed out all the labels and everything, and I had to put a sticker on the box that says, Fragile, right? And our culture has a sticker over it right now that says, Fragile. We need to be handled with care, right? We're, we we want to make sure that we don't 
break, uh, get broken, right? Uh, we live in a very fragile society. And we know that uh, we live in a fragile society when people can't handle words, like speech, um, ideas, beliefs. People need to be protected from these things. That's why the book is uh, titled The Coddling of the American Mind. We, we, we're coddled in our society, right, from ideas and beliefs. Uh, we're sensitive. We're touchy. We know that we live in a fragile society when people slander Christians because of their beliefs. A uh, pastor friend of mine, uh, a guy named Doug Ponder, uh, he said recently this, if you believe everything in the Bible says, if you believe everything the Bible says, you will be called a fundamentalist even if you're not. If you obey everything Jesus requires, you'll be called a legalist, even if you're not. If you repeat what the Bible says about men and women, you'll be called a misogynist, that's a woman hater, even if you're not. Even if you just say, hey, there's a difference between men and women. They're not the same. Right? Or you start talking about what a man actually is and a man's responsibility to lead uh, in society and the church and in the home. Right? And uh, all these different types of things. If you repeat what Jesus says about marriage out loud, you will be called a homophobic. You'll be called homophobic even if you're not. My assumption here is that most of you agree with uh, Pastor uh, Ponder here. But it still doesn't change the fact that no one likes to feel weak. No one likes to be called weak. And we have all kinds of ways that we like to seem better than we are or more tough than we really are stronger than we really are. Uh, love the uh, theologian, uh, a guy named J.I. Packer. He's got a book called Weakness is the Way. He says, our proud hearts shrink from weakness and they embrace whatever looks like strength. What is it that you embrace that looks like strength in your life? What, what is it that you project on the outside, look like you got it together, you're, you're strong, or whatever it is uh, that, that, that looks like strength. You know, we, I went out to the, we went out to the, uh, the, the fireman's uh, carnival out at uh, South Morgan last I had a great time, thankful for uh, the firefighters and, and all that they do uh, for our community. But you know what? I was walking around. There's a lot of tough-looking dudes out there last night, right? Cut off sleeves, got the tattoo, boom, boom. I was like, man, I'm trying not to bump into anybody out here. I don't want anybody. I'm too old for all that uh, nonsense, right? But a lot of tattoos, earrings, everybody looking tough, looking hard out there. You know what I mean? Right? We got, we, our community looks, we look very tough, right, on the outside. Right? We got a lot of camo. We got a lot of big trucks, tattoos, case, big cases of beer coming out the store. We got a lot of big flags that we wave, right, because we're strong. We're not weak. But and let me ask you a question. How are you really doing, though? How's your life? How are you mentally? How are you spiritually? How is your family doing? How about that? There's a reason it's getting quiet right now. How is work going? Are you thriving in your job and in your relationship? What about your marriage or, or your romantic relationship? Here's my experience. Some of the toughest people I know, literally, are crippled with anxiety. Some of the toughest people I know cannot move forward because of grief and loss in their life, because of death. 
If we're so strong as a community, why are we so weak when it comes to the temptations of drugs or alcohol or being unhealthy? I had people coming up to me at the fireman's carnival last night like, hey, man, if you see this person, let you know, man, they're like really struggling right now. Like they're, 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 they're buying, they're getting pills and they're, they're using this and they're using that, you know. Or, or maybe they've recovered and they're like, hey, you know, I'm doing really good right now. This is a big problem. This is our biggest problem as a community, right? If we're so strong, why all the meds? Why, why are we prescribe so many meds in, in, in our community? Maybe all of this stuff that I'm saying right now is a sign that we're actually really weak. And, it, and it's, this is a, we need a crutch to lean on. Whether the crutch is camo or the crutch is Adderall. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 puts it like this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So being weak, recognizing your weakness is not a bad place to be in, according to this verse. Because while we were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus Christ came for you. He came to die for you, to gather you up, to belong to him. According to this verse ungodliness is what causes the weakness in our life. Ungodliness is very simple. Un, this means without. We live our lives without God. Right? And the result of that is just being spiritually empty. We're empty inside. Right? There's no spiritual life there, no spiritual power or strength. Sin also weakens us physically and we die. I got a newsflash for everybody. You're going to die. The people in your life, they're going to die too. Death is the ultimate sign of our weakness. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how beefed up we get at the gym, you know, or how many, uh, how many plates we stack on, you know, how many of these right here we do with the, with the dumbbell. Right? We're, we're going to die. It doesn't matter how much essential oils you put on your body or, or whatever. Uh, how, how much health insurance you got, you're going you're gonna to die one day. But if you can admit that you're weak, if you can admit that you're weak, that you're a sinner, then you're just the type of person that Jesus came for. And Jesus didn't come for the strong people and say, I'm good. I'm good without Christ. You know, he came for people who says, I know it. Lord, that is me. I am a sinner. Can you just admit it today? If you can admit it, you can give your life to Christ right now. Right? You can give your life to Christ right now. But once he gathers you up, what is his plan for you? What does he want to do um, in, in your life? Well, the passage tells us in verse 7. Look at it. I will make the lame into a remnant, those far removed into a strong nation. Then the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. So what is he trying to do in your life? He wants to make you strong. He wants to make you stable, right, so that life is not all a chaos and a mess and um, a shamble. This passage says that we go from lame to a remnant, from those far away, you see it, strong nation. The word remnant uh, just means leftover, right? Uh, I made some ribs recently, smoked some ribs, you know, put all the rub on there, rub and just massage that rib rub in there, put the apple juice on them, you know, just man, you know. And then uh, we had a whole, like, extra rack, put it in the uh, refrigerator. And you, you know the next day they're better, don't you? 
They'd just been marinating up in the fridge all night, pull it out for breakfast, put some cold ribs for breakfast. I didn't eat it for breakfast, but um, they do taste better for some reason. The next day, they just marinate uh, up, in the, up in the refrigerator all night. Here's my point. God loves leftovers. God, that's, what, that's what the word remnant is. The word remnant means God's people are the leftovers from bringing his judgment and salvation uh, into the world. It's another um, title for uh, the church. Love this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. You see that? God chooses people who know they are sinners, who know they are weak, who know they are, uh, that, that they need him in, in life to shame those who are strong. Those who are strong uh, out in the world who think that and then they got it all together, or maybe because of their effort, or maybe their family, that they're good people, that they're good with God. You know, they don't really need him that much uh, in, their, in their life. And knowing this, knowing this is the way that God works, actually strengthens you. Strengthens you uh, in life. Look at verse 7 again. Here's how the Lord does it. Here's how God makes us strong. It says there at the end, then the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth uh, and forevermore. See that? That's how God, we've, we've already said that God has already started doing this in the resurrection of Jesus. So the Lord is already reigning over his people and knowing the fact that Jesus Christ is risen, ruling and reigning. I don't know about you. That kind of strengthens my heart a little bit. The weakness is knowing, believing, and living as if Jesus is the risen king and not us. Right? We, we want to live like we're king, don't we? I got this. I'm, I got it together. I'm, I'm taking care of stuff. Take care of it. Uh, we uh, sat down for lunch yesterday and we got a little devotional that uh, me and my wife read. Uh, and uh, I read it to the girls. Like September 2nd, right? And there was a line in there that said something about, um, you know, when we're going through difficulty, we always say, why me? Or whatever, right? And the, the devotional basically flipped it on its head and said, why him? Why Christ? Why did he have to suffer? Why did he have to come into the world to suffer for uh, people like, this, this, like us, right? And a little line in the devotional said something about recognizing that the world is not supremely about you. It's about Christ. It's about him ruling and reigning uh, and being, he is king. And this is what verse 8 here is talking about too. Look at verse 8. Y'all still tracking with me? Everybody, everybody are still with me? All right. Verse 8. And you, watchtower for the flock, fortified hill of daughter Zion, the former rule will come to you. Sovereignty will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Hey, listen, without getting into the weeds here, this is just saying it's looking forward to this king who's going to come to Israel. For, for God's people, a good one, like the ones they had in the past, like King David. It's looking to, into this future for uh, this coming king, and it's saying that he is going to rule over you. This is talking about Jesus. Let me ask you a question. How does Jesus being king make us strong? How does that strengthen us? Well, how about this? How about the worst thing that could happen to us in life. Our greatest enemy is death. Tell me it's not. 
Jesus Christ has won the victory over death. He is resurrected from the death. So here's the deal. As Christians, we do not have to fear death. You don't have to fear sickness whatsoever. Right? You do not have to fear other people dying as a Christian. Because we have an answer to death. We have the antidote to death. It strengthens us because Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, has poured his spirit out onto the church. And he, the spirit, comes to work with inside us to help us to follow Christ, help us to trust him, to obey him. The fact that Christ is risen from the dead means there is nothing in our life that is too difficult for him. What is it in your life right now that you need strength for? What is it that you're going through that you need his help for? What is it in your life that you need his help to obey? What is that? There's nothing that he can't help you with because he, he is risen uh, from the dead. You know the Apostle Paul got himself into trouble for being a Christian, right? He was preaching Jesus and, and being a good pastor and just teaching the Bible, just teaching away. And, and, and you know what happened to him? They threw that man in a nasty jail cell. And you, you know, can you imagine yourself being there? Put yourself there. You're just a Christian. You're trying to do what God says and you get thrown into a jail cell. Can you imagine the confusion that would have came in, into his heart and mind? Lord, I'm just doing what you're supposed to be doing. I'm doing what you told me to do. Lord, are you with me? How, how can this be your, your plan? Lord, where am I going to get some food today? Because you know in a Roman jail cell, they weren't bringing him any food. Lord, where, where are my friends at? And there he was in the jail cell, and this is what he wrote, Philippians 4.13. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. And that's the him there he's talking about is Jesus. By knowing that Jesus Christ was alive, he wrote one of the most encouraging books in the Bible, which is this book, the book of Philippians. You know, you can rely on Jesus. You can take Jesus, whatever Jesus says, you can trust him, take him at his word. He is faithful. We can do whatever he tells us to do with his strength and with his help. Do you know that you can be obedient to God? You can, you can obey. You can do what he, he calls you to do. Because when we are weak, Jesus is at his best. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Apostle Paul said. When I am weak, he is strong. See, strong people can't experience uh, the strength of God. Think about that. It's only those who know that you need him in your life, that can, he can operate um, and, and be strong. That's the first thing that we see here. The second is pain is part of the plan. Pain is part of the plan. Look at verses 9 and 10. Now, why are you shouting loudly? Is there no king with you? Has your counselor perished so that anguish grips you like a woman in labor? Writhe, cry out, daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you will leave the city and camp out in open fields. You will go to Babylon, and there you will be rescued. And there the Lord will redeem you from the grasp of your enemies. So two times in this passage, God's people, the church, is described as a woman um, giving birth unto a child. And I'll tell you, my respect level and my love for my wife went through the roof when she gave birth to our daughters. Right, because of the pain that she endured 
and the, the endurance, the hours, and the agony of labor, even, even with uh, modern uh, medicine. But the source of the pain here is metaphorical, right? This is not talking about a literal woman giving birth. It's talking about people, right? It's talking about God's uh, people, the church. Um, it's pain from them putting their hope in someone other than the living God. That's why it says here, where's, the, where's your king? Don't you have a king? Don't you have a counselor? Right? They're putting their hope in kings that are uh, uh, unstable and failing and, and not living up to oh, God's standards. Putting their eggs in someone else. Have you ever done this in life? Put your too much hope in other people? Put too much trust in other people? And, and you just put all your eggs in the basket and just falls apart? And, and Micah, is saying, Micah is prophesying here that as a result that these people are going to go into exile. And this happened. This happened in history that God judged his very own people, the people of Israel. 586 B.C., the Babylonians came into Israel. I mean, they just destroyed everything. Bur literally burned the temple to the ground. Took Israel out of their land into Babylon, that God inflicted pain upon his own people, which was all part of his plan. It was part of his plan to purify them so that they would know that he alone is Lord, that he has their best interests in mind. You know what's beautiful about this? Look at the, look at the last three lines there. That in the midst of their consequences for their behavior, God says, there you will be rescued. See that? There the Lord will redeem you. That is so beautiful. Right? God is saying, listen, whatever you get yourself involved in, there I'm going to come and get you. Whether you're a Christian or not, when God goes to get you, he goes to get you there. Whatever you're dabbling in, whatever you're in, involved in, God comes and gets you there. But you know, God's people going into exile was like, going into the grave. It was like a death. You see, the Christian life is cross before the crown. It is death before resurrection. Being a Christian a lot of times is like dying, right? Because Jesus says, listen, if you want to be my follower, here's what you got to do. You got to take up your cross. You know what the cross was? Death. Following Jesus is um, denying yourself. Mom, you give me that grape juice up there on the front row. I apologize. I'm I'm a diabetic. My blood sugar gets uh, low sometimes. Um, yes, it is. Um, there's a lot of pain in, 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 as a part of being a Christian. Um, I go to the gym a couple times a week. I know you guys can tell. It's all good. Yeah, I know you can tell. Right? Um, but it, I don't like going. I would rather be doing something else. Right? There's pain involved. Yes, it is, a, but it's a, part of, it's a part of the plan. Going to the gym and the pain is part of the plan to stay somewhat healthy. Pain in life is God's way of getting us healthy. Pain is part of the Christian life. Because we get ourselves into a lot of trouble, don't we? Think about it. You ever get yourself in, uh, in trouble with sin? Um... Listen, we are no different than the people described here in this passage. 
looking for hope in all the wrong places, looking for love with all the wrong people, looking to escape into all the wrong things. Tell me that ain't true. Right? Looking for hope, all the wrong places. Looking for love and all the wrong people. Looking to escape and all the wrong things. Right? What is that for you? What are you putting your hope in? What person is it that you're looking to find love uh, from? Right? What, what, what place, what thing are you looking to escape into? Listen, God will let us do it. That's, that's his method. God will let us sample those things to teach us, to purify us so that we might know there's nobody better than him, right? Our hearts were made to find peace and rest in him, in him alone. Look at this, um, look at this uh, verse, Psalm 119, verse 67. Look what it says. I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your, your word. Right? I used to wander, wander off right, until God comes and disciplines us, and then we begin to closely uh, follow his word. You know what? Learning this is a lifelong process as a Christian. It's a lifelong. You know, we, we, we go and, and, we, and we wander off and we try to find happiness in something other than um, uh, Jesus. And then God comes and his discipline is letting us find out that that thing never satisfies. That person... Uh, ultimately can't feel the void in our life. You know, and some Christians teach that, that, teach that God kind of zaps us at some point in life, and we really don't struggle that much anymore. There's some Christians, that is their theology, and that is their uh, teaching. This is what's called an over-realized eschatology. Eschatology is just that part of, of Christian doctrine uh, that focuses on the last days. And that's what we're talking about here in in uh, Micah chapter 4, uh, by the way. And over-realized eschatology is over-realized because they believe that deliverance from the presence of sin comes all at once in the Christian life. Right? But that doesn't happen until Jesus returns. Uh, in the meantime, in the time between Jesus' birth, his life, and his second coming, we have a battle against sin in our lives. We have to wage war uh, against it every day um, of our life. Jesus died for our sins to forgive us, didn't he? Sure. We are forgiven. Absolutely. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ died to free us from the power of sin. Absolutely. I set us free from the, from the slavery of sin. We don't have to obey anymore. But God, in his wisdom, allows the presence of sin to remain in our life. And you know what? That causes a lot of pain. It causes a lot of pain in our life. There's a book, a little book called The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. And uh, the Purit uh, Puritanism uh, was a movement, a revival movement, took place in the 16th century in, uh, in England. And uh, one of the prayers in that book is called the dark guest. And here's the words of that prayer. Destroy, O oh God, the dark guest within whose hidden presence makes my life a hell. Can, can anybody relate to that? As a Christian, there's, it feels like there's, 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 there's like a Dr. Jekyll and a Mr. Hyde living within 
uh, there's, there's two chariots, one, uh, there's two horses, one going this way, one going that way. Within inside of our hearts, there's, there's a dark guest whose hidden presence makes my life a hell. Look at the last part of that prayer. Yet, yet you, God, have not left me here without your grace, without your mercy. The cross still stands and meets all of my needs. So how can you fight? If the, the Christian life is defined, as described as a struggle, a warfare, a fight, a battle. How can you do that? How can you fight sin? Well, you have to remember things like what this prayer says, that there is grace for you. God is there. The grace of God is this. It is his, what he does for us in Christ is completely undeserving. Right? We could never pay him back for it. Uh, it is free for the taking. We have to remember in the fight that the cross is still there. That we, as we struggle and as we fight, we are forgiven. But also this, we are free. We don't have to give in. We can uh, obey God. We have to remember things like this passage tells us that there the Lord will come for us. Whatever that sin is. And what is that in your life? Let me ask you a question. Do you have a pet sin in your life? This morning, uh, I was working on my sermon, and I, I uh, went outside and just took a, little, a walk, and I got a little, little cat, Nacho, right? I named her Nacho because she's brown, after Nacho Libre as well, the movie. And she, she just followed me everywhere I went. I was walking around up in the woods just praying, talking to God. She's a sweet little cat, right? Let me ask you, do you have a sweet little pet sin that you just keep in your life and you just pet it and, and you stroke it, you know what I mean, you keep it around? Let me just tell you, the Lord is there to help you to obey and to put that thing to death, right? To, to fight it and to battle it um, in your life. You know, there's another source of pain uh, that this passage talks about, and that is opposition, Look at what it says there in verse 11. Many nations have assembled against you, and they say, let her be defiled. That is the church. Let the church be defiled. This is people coming in against the church saying, let us feast our eyes on Zion. And Mike is saying here that God's people, the church, is going to be persecuted. The Bible talks about this all over, right? And this comes in many forms. I'll give you an example. I was with some people recently, and the topic of sexuality came up. And they were just, they just couldn't wrap their minds around uh, uh, what the Bible has to say about sexuality. And they, they, they seemed arbitrary to them, like God was picking on people, picking on certain groups, and I broke it down for them. How it's not arbitrary, right? How uh, God has a wonderful design and plan for sexuality which points to his relationship with Christ and the church, which is the center of reality, which is God's plan from the eternity past, right? And uh, I broke all this down, and uh, it was like a record stop when I got done. It was like the record went, everybody got quiet, and I looked like an idiot. I looked ridiculous. I stood out like a, like a, like a, like a sore thumb. And listen, Listen, if you stand with Jesus in our culture, you're going to look ridiculous at times. 
Because everyone's going this way, and you're going to be going that way. Right? But you know what? It's okay. It's all right. It doesn't matter. Right? That's going to happen, or people are going to slander you. They're going to call you all the names. They're going to call you all, all those things. Legalist. They're going to call you a misogynist. That's always fun. Um, they're going to call you homophobic. They're going to call you a Christian nationalist. If you've got any beliefs about politics. Don't lose heart. Do not lose heart. It is okay. Right? It is okay. Look at what our passage says. Look at this in verse 12. Look at this. But they do not know the Lord's intentions or understand his plan. God has a plan. And look at his plan. God's enemies come to feast their eyes upon the church. But look what happens. God has actually gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. God has a plan for all the opposition uh, for the church, all the rejection, all the shame, all the slander. God uses his enemies as a part of his plan that the pain that they cause to God's people backfires on them. It's like someone who actually knows how to knife fight, right? Not that I know, but here's what I know about the people who do know is that they take the weapon a lot of times and use it against the enemy. When they come at them, they will reverse it and uh, use it to inflict pain upon uh, the attacker. This is what God does to the enemies of the church. The only thing that they can do is to help us to become more like Jesus. The only thing that persecution and slander and opposition can do to a real Christian is to help us taper us off of our addiction to this old dying world. And you know what happens when you become more like Jesus and you get tapered off of your love affair with this world? You get happy. You get joyful. So you guys tracking with me? The only thing that looking like an idiot was due for you, sticking out like a sore thumb, people slandering you in the community, calling you all kinds of names, the only thing that that can do is make you more happy in Jesus. Blessed are you, Jesus says. We've been uh, power washing our house. And you know, I found out my wife loves to power wash. Hey, thank you, Jesus, right? She gets on that power washing, man. She's like an inch away from that vinyl, man. And she's just ready to blow a hole in the side of my house. And then the vinyl, man, but she, she loves it, right? This is what God does with opposition to Christians. He uses it to power wash the grime away from our lives. It's a beautiful thing. This is what the Apostle Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. This light, momentary affliction. He's talking about persecution. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Look at that last part right there. An absolutely incomparable weight of glory. Do you know what is ahead of you, Christian? There is a weight of glory that is coming that is so weighty and so beautiful, you are going to see the living God face to face. It doesn't matter what the world throws at us. That is helping you for that time. In the new heavens and the new earth, when heaven comes down and makes everything new, new again, takes away all the sin and all the persecution, you know one day you're not going to have to struggle with sin. I think I'm going to fly like a bird that day. I think I'm actually going to be able to sing that day. I don't, I don't know, 
Right? It's, going to be, it's going to be amazing. Micah describes our victory in Christ over all of our enemies as harvest time. This is so beautiful. Look at verse 13. Rise, rise up, thresh, daughter Zion, for I will make you your horns iron and your hooves bronze so that you can crush many peoples. Then you, will set, then you will set apart their plunder for the Lord, their wealth for the Lord of the whole earth. This uh, passage talks about threshing. Threshing is just separating, uh, the, the, separating the grain from the husk, like uh, shucking corn, right? Cattle uh, used to be used for that uh, in ancient Israel. Uh, we have John Deere now. We have John Deere. John Deere goes throughout the fields around here in Morgan County and separates the corn uh, from the stalk or, or whatever. This passage is saying that the church is the John Deere and the husk is the enemies of the, of the church. And we are told to do two things here. And the first is to rise. Listen, you will rise up and get confidence in your life when you recognize you have already won as a Christian. Do you know that? Do you know Christian? The Bible says that you become joined to Jesus. You become united to him. We just, saw, we just sang this, right? We've been joined as one by your blood. We've been joined to Jesus, and Jesus is resurrected from the dead, victorious over, over this world. The Bible says that you are already seated with him in the heavenly places. We are winning, for real, right? So rise up. You need to lift up your head. Lift up your head and above your enemies all, all around you. Look, look at what Jesus said in John 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. See what Jesus wants for your life? Peace. And here's how it comes. You've got to recognize you're going to have suffering in this life. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Praise God. Jesus has conquered the world. He's conquered the grave. He's conquered all of our enemies at the cross. And the Bible says his enemies are being put up underneath of his feet. Number two, we are told to thresh. We are to shuck the corn with those who do not yet know Jesus. How do we do that? Well, here's one way, right? We tell them about the Lord of the whole earth, right? That's how God overcomes his enemies, isn't it? I was an enemy of Jesus at one time, many years in my life. You know how God, Jesus overcame me? Someone told me, hey, you're a sinner. That man loved you so much that he died for you, and he's alive, right? And you know what happened? He completely overcame me, and I became uh, a part of his people, right? That's, how, that's what we do. We just tell them. We tell them that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus risen for them, Jesus loved them, and either they're going to bow the knee now in this life, or when Jesus Christ cracks the sky to rid the world of everything sad, they're going to bow the knee as his enemy forever. But in the meantime, we tell them, right? This is what it looks like to win and to thresh. My favorite hymn is uh, called A Mighty Fortress is Our God by Martin Luther. It is fabulous. This is part of it. We'll win with this. Did we in our own strength confide, confide our striving would be losing? We're not here trusting in ourselves. We're here to trust in Christ, put our hope in him. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. 
You ask who that might be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth is his name. (laughs) That's a good word. That just means Lord of armies. Do you know that Jesus is sitting up there with an army waiting to return? Heavenly army. From age to age, he's saying, you know Jesus is eternal God. He's been around for a long time. He's going to be around forever, and he must win the battle. I love that. He, he must win, and he will win, and we will win in him and triumph. Hallelujah. All right, and this is what we want to respond to here this morning.